excited to be able to spend time with you at your home right now this morning. I invite you to grab a Bible if you're able and turn to the book of Exodus chapter 20. We've come now in our study of the book of Exodus to chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. So this morning we're going to spend some time digging into these commands, seeing who God is and what this means for us today. So please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. As you're turning, I just want to say I miss you guys. It's, uh, it's great to be able to do this. It really is, but I miss being with you all. So I look forward to the day when we're all here again together. So Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Here we go, Exodus chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son, or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, as we look into your word, as we consider these Ten Commandments that you gave long ago, we beg that you would let us see you that you would let us encounter your heart and that you would change our lives. Lord, I pray that I would go away and not be a stumbling block, that you would just speak clearly through me this morning and impact our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. On August 27, 2011, almost nine years ago, Heather and I got married. It was one of the most special days I've ever had in my whole life. Um, day. My family was there. My friends were there. It was the day I had been waiting for for a long time. I met Heather about a year and a half before we got married. And I, the first time I ever saw her, it was in a Bible study. I was at the University of Cincinnati at this Baptist campus ministry group. We're having our normal weekly Bible study. And then the doors open, and this most beautiful girl walked in. I'd never seen her before. I'm thinking, who is that girl? And so I got to know who she was. Her name was Heather, Heather Tisso back then. And I got to be friends with her and her friends. And we got to know each other more and more. And I learned, wow, this girl really loves Jesus. 
this is awesome. And I don't know why, but by God's grace, she liked me too. So eventually, I proposed, and it led to that day, August 27th, when we were going to be married. And on that day, uh, we said these vows to each other. I said, I, Alan, take you, Heather, to be my wedded wife. I have, uh, excuse me, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness or in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Hereto I pledge you my faithfulness. And she said those things to me, and that became the core, really, of our marriage. It was on that day that we, we joined in a covenant, a marriage covenant that's bound us uh, for the last almost nine years now. And after that awesome day, she moved in with me, and we began our life. We began a new family, and it's been totally cool. Well, in the book of Exodus, something kind of parallel to a marriage covenant is happening. So in, in the book of Exodus, when we open the book of Exodus, we see the Israelites, God's people. They're in slavery in the land of Egypt, and God sees them. He knows what they're going through, and to them it may have felt like, where is God? They may have heard of the God of their ancestors, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but where is he now? But God saw what they were going through. God rose up a deliverer named Moses and used Moses to lead these people out from Egypt. God showed up in a mighty way through these plagues and signs, his power over all the gods of Egypt, over all of creation, and then miraculously leads them through the Red Sea. And God brought them through the leadership of Moses to Mount Sinai. So it's like God was wooing this people to himself, but now here at Mount Sinai, God's going to give them this covenant, this Mosaic covenant, his special relationship, these terms of the relationship here at this mountain of God. And at the core of that covenant are these ten commandments, these ten words. Then after this, God gives instructions on how the people are to build the tabernacle. It's like he's moving. So this is a really important thing that God's doing, these Ten Commandments. So what were they really? I mean, we memorize them as kids, the Ten Commandments. We hang them on our walls and our houses. They're displayed at some public places. But what were they? What did they mean in their context to the Israelites? What did Jesus think about them? What did the early church think about them? Are they relevant for our lives today? So this morning, my hope is that we'll be able to dive into this, test, into this text and learn what they mean for our lives today. And I hope to do that by looking at the Ten Commandments from three different perspectives. Three different perspectives on the Ten Commandments. The first perspective is that the Ten Commandments lead us to behold God's heart. The Ten Commandments lead us to behold God's heart. The Ten Commandments, they tell us something about who God is. So on that day, when the Israelites were gathered before Mount Sinai and God delivered uh, these words to Moses and to the people, that wasn't the first time Moses had ever been to Mount Sinai. I found this so interesting. So Moses had met God at this mountain way earlier when God met Moses in the burning bush. And what happened at the burning bush was kind of like a small version of what's happening now um, at Mount Sinai with all the Israelites. You may remember back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses met God. God met Moses at the burning bush. God revealed his holiness. Moses took off his feet. There was fire. And God revealed his identity, his name, his personal name, I am Yahweh to Moses there. 
Now the same God has brought not just Moses, but all the Israelites to the same mountain. And here God is showing who he is, his holiness. There's fire, and God is revealing his identity to his people. He wants his people to know who he is. Just to give a little flavor of the context, I'll read back in the chapter before chapter 20, chapter 19, verses 16 and on. On the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. Why did God reveal himself in this way? This is like really dramatic. The fire, the trumpet sound. Why is God doing this? Well, look at verse 9 of chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you and always believe you. God wants his people to not miss this. He's going to reveal who he is. He's going to reveal it to Moses, and he wants the people to always know what Moses said is a true account of who God is. It's like when I'm hanging out with my kids, and I need to tell them something really important. I say, guys, turn off the TV, stop playing the games, look in my eyes. I need to tell you something important. That's what God is doing here. He's getting our attention so we don't miss what he's going to say, and what he says shows us his heart. It shows us who he is. God wants his people to know who he is. So let's, let's just start diving into these Ten Commandments. And notice, the Ten Commandments don't start with a command at all. The first thing that we read in the Ten Commandments is an identification of who God is. Check it out, back in verse 1. Then God spoke. God wants his people to know who he is. God spoke all these words. He's not leaving his people in silence. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. So when God first comes to his people and he wants them to know these good, wise ways to live, he doesn't start with saying, do this. He says, this is who I am and this is what I have done for you. And everything that he's going to say after this is a call to respond in a life of worship to what God has done. He redeemed his people Israel through the Exodus. He's redeemed us, his people, today through the cross of Jesus. And our lives now are to respond to what he has done and who he is. In his book, The Gospel According to Moses, theologian Daniel I. Block he helpfully says, God and Moses perceived God's revelation of the law to Israel as a supreme and unique privilege. In contrast to the nations who worship gods of wood and stone that never spoke. Sometimes when I think of the Ten Commandments, I think, oh, the Ten Commandments. That's like, I don't know, it just feels like works related. But no, this is a gift from God. He's speaking. He's revealing who he is to us, his people. We are privileged to know who God is. 
Blah continues, For the genuinely faithful in Israel, obedience to the law was a delight, in part because of their deep gratitude for God's grace, experience, and salvation, and covenant relationship, but also because they knew that God would respond to their obedience with favor. This is awesome. God is showing us who he is. Block, he continues by sharing a prayer. This is a prayer written in Sumerian, probably dating back to the second millennium. So around the same ballpark as when the Ten Commandments were, were given. But the person praying didn't know God like the Israelites and Moses were blessed to know God. Just catch a little bit of this prayer here. Here's some select passages. This person prayed, O God, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. O goddess, whom I know or do not know, my transgressions are many. Great are my sins. The transgression that I have committed, indeed, I do not know. The sin that I have done, indeed, I do not know. The forbidden thing that I have eaten, indeed, I do not know. The prohibited place on which I have set foot, indeed, I do not know. The Lord, in the anger of his heart, looked at me. The God, in the rage of his heart, confronted me. When the goddess was angry with me, she made me become ill. The God whom I know or do not know has opposed me. The goddess whom I know or do not know has placed suffering upon me. Although I am constantly looking for help, no one takes me by the hand. When I weep, they do not come to my side. I utter laments, but no one hears me. I am troubled. I am overwhelmed. I cannot see. Man is dumb. He knows nothing. Mankind, everyone that exists, what does he know? Whether he is committing sin or doing good, he does not even know. This is a really sad prayer of someone grasping to know God, but he doesn't know which God or gods is true or real. He, he doesn't know what he's done wrong. He doesn't know how to appease that God. All that is in contrast to what we read in Exodus 20. God spoke to his people. He wants his people to know who he is. Growing up, my parents... They were awesome parents. They had rules for my siblings and I. We, we weren't supposed to fight with our siblings. We weren't supposed to say bad words. We were supposed to come home at curfew, stuff like that. And at the time, I may have thought, like, man, I wish I didn't have these, these parents who have all these rules. Um, but one thing that came out of that was I know who my parents are. I know what they value because of the wise things they instructed my siblings and I to live out. We have the blessing as God's people to know who he is. He's given us these wise instructions so we can know his heart. So even before we go any further into these Ten Commands, are we taking advantage in a good way of the gift of God's revelation? We've been given not only the Ten Commands, but the whole Bible. Are we taking advantage of the fact that we can open this and meditate and learn who God is? And as his people, we can pray to him and express our hearts to him. We have this privileged relationship with God. Let's not waste the opportunity that we have to know him. And are we making him known to others? If there's not a preacher, who will know who God is? We have the gift of not only knowing God, but in knowing him, being able to share who he is with those around us. During this coronavirus it's crazy times. For some of us, it might mean we might have more free time. Some of that time, I urge us all, give to God. Spend time knowing and learning who God is. I confess, recently, 
my schedule's been a little busy, and my devotion times have not been as great as I wish they had been. But the other morning, I, I did get a blessing of a little time with God, and it was such a refreshment to me. I mean, just to stop and pray and take in who God is, and we need that. We all need that. That's the way God designed us. We need to know who our Creator is. So I urge you, take the time even today, on a daily basis, and carve out a little time to give to God. God has revealed himself, his heart, to us. Just a little example, um, in, in, in our youth group, uh, we've been, for the last couple weeks, we've been doing the Zoom meeting thing. It's not ideal. I miss meeting. If you're a youth here, I miss meeting with you in person, but we've been able to meet on Zoom, and it's been really cool. And for a little while, I had prepared that we were going to go into a study in the book of Daniel. That's what we've been doing, but I didn't know about the coronavirus. It wasn't on my radar like it is now, but God was working, and that book has really been a blessing to me, and I hope it has been to our youth, too. It is just speaking to what we're going through right now. In the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel and his friends were going through a crazy time, and God was faithful to them, even in that craziness. Today, we're going through a crazy time. God is faithful to us in our craziness. We get to know God's heart because we have this book. So use it, dive into it, and behold God's heart. So, the Ten Commandments, they lead us to know who God is. They lead us to behold his heart. But not only do they show us who God is, they show us about ourselves. The second perspective this morning, the Ten Commandments lead us to embrace our God-given design. The Ten Commandments lead us to embrace our God-given design. God has revealed to us who we are, how he has made us to be. In their book, Kingdom Through Covenant, Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam, they have this helpful statement. They say the biblical theological framework is especially important because there, because there we come to see the Ten Commandments not merely as fundamental requirements determining the divine human and human-human relationships as moral principles, but as the foundation of true social justice and the basis of what it means to be a son or daughter of God. An Adamic figure, that is, like Adam, truly and genuinely human. When we read the Ten Commandments, we get a glimpse of God's design for us, what it means to truly be human, how he created us to live, good and wise ways that we can live our lives. And as was alluded to in that quote, the Ten Commandments, they speak both to our vertical relationship with God and to our horizontal relationship with others. The first four commands, they're about our relationship with God. And the last six are about our relationships with others. So let's dive in. Let's dive into these, these ten commands and check them out. Verse 3 of Exodus 20. Do not have other gods besides me. God wants us to exclusively devote our allegiance to him. If you think back about the analogy of when Heather and I were married, we entered that covenant relationship. So if after Heather and I were married... If I started conversations with other women, I started dating other women, or if Heather started dating other men, we'd be like, what in the world is going on? That's not okay. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Well, that's what God is doing with us. He, he has called us into this covenant relationship, and he wants him to be our exclusive partner in this. No other gods besides him. Similarly, the next commandment, do not make an idol for yourself. 
Imagine if I brought home a poster of another woman and I hung it in my bedroom, Heather and I's bedroom. She would think, what are you doing? And vice versa. God wants our full allegiance to him. Let's go down to verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. God doesn't want us to misuse who he is. He revealed his personal name to Moses, to the Israelites. He showed them who he is. He showed his love and his power to them. And he doesn't want them to misuse that. Think about Heather and I in our marriage. She wouldn't want me to speak untrue things about her. She wouldn't want me to gossip about her or shed her in an unfair or ungood light. That's the same with God and us. He wants us to speak of him in reverence, in truth, in love. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God wants us to devote time to him. And he knows, he's designed us that we need that time on a regular basis to rest. That's the way we were built. It's for our own good. We need rest. Heather and I, we need to carve out time for each other. Our lives are busy just like yours. I get home from work and the kids, they want to tell me all they've been doing all day and I love to hear what they've been doing all day and we play with cars and we watch TV and we eat food and it's crazy and then they go to bed and I'm exhausted and it could be easy to just be like, Heather, I, I don't have a lot of time, but we have to carve out that time for our marriage to flourish, for it to work as it's designed to. That's how it is with us and God. We need to carve out that time with him. It's a need of our own soul. We need to devote part of, our, part of our time and our lives on a daily basis to him. So how do we obey God? How do we love God? This is really helpful. It just explains it to us. No other gods, no idols. Don't take his name in vain. Spend time with him. Cool. So 10 commandments, one through four, vertical relationship, our relationship with God. The next six commandments focus on our relationships outward with other people. So let's, let's dive into these. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother. If you were writing the Ten Commandments, would you have included that one? Think about it. That is an interesting command. Some of these other commands that we'll touch on, do not murder, do not steal, they're pretty broad. They're pretty, like, all-encompassing. But this command focuses in on a specific relationship, that of parents and children. And it reveals to us how God has made us. Every person that comes into this world needs training, needs guidance, and God has blessed those children with parents. Unfortunately, in some cases, there may not be parents around. And if you're a child and you're in need of guidance, I encourage you to find a parent who can be a mentor to you, who can serve like a mother or father in the Lord to you. But as we come into this world, we need guidance. And that requires us to honor our mothers and our fathers. And as we grow older, we still have mothers and fathers as long as they're still alive. And the way that God has designed us as families is that we need to care for our mothers and fathers as they age. That we need to help them through their last years, to help them finish well. It's all in God's design to help us honor our mothers and our fathers. Even in the New Testament, Paul is able to refer to this verse, Ephesians chapter 6. He says, children, obey your parents as you would the Lord, because this is right. Honor your mother, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now that, it's interesting because there is a promise connected to this verse, 
that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so in the original context of the Ten Commandments, this obviously would be the land that Moses was leading the people to, the promised land in Canaan, but it still has an application for us today, and I think that's that one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and that if children and all of us are faithful to believe in Jesus, we will be in that new land, the new heavens and the new earth. So children, honor your mother and father. Let's keep going now, down to verse 13. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. All these seem pretty straightforward, but notice all of these commands, they show us in God's design that God has made all of us with dignity. That he's made every person in his image. That we're all image bearers, regardless of our gender, of our skin tone, of our mental capacity, of our age. Every person is, is deserving of us to, to protect their life instead of taking their life. God calls us to live a life that seeks to protect uh, marriage and away from adultery. He wants us, instead of stealing, to respect others and their labor and their ownership He wants us to live transparent, honest, just lives instead of lying. This all shows us how God has designed us and that every person has an image of God inside of them. The last of these ten commands, verse 17. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This command is interesting because it's not necessarily an outward action, but it's a heart level. God is telling us not to crave after or desire something that's not ours, that's not supposed to be ours. In theory, we could think of somebody obeying a lot of these earlier commands on the outside and doing it pretty well. If they were well-disciplined, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal— But on the inside, they could be rebelling. They could say, I hate all this. I just want to steal and murder and commit adultery. But this last command is getting to the fact that this is not just an outward command kind of a thing. This is all oriented at the heart level. This last command is teaching us to be content with what God has given us each and every day. But when you think about how Jesus thinks of the Ten Commandments and his Sermon on the Mount, he sees that these are not just outward commands. They are that, but they're more. He says things like, if you lust after a woman, it's like you've committed adultery with her. If you're angry with a brother, it's like you've murdered him. And so Jesus is showing us that these are all revealing how God has designed us to live from the heart out. These are good and wise ways that should shape our lives, and when they do shape our lives, others will notice. Others will see something different in us. In eighth grade, I was in jazz band. I played the drums. It was one of my favorite classes. I really enjoyed jazz band. And going into ninth grade, I wanted to be in jazz band again. I had to try out. Not everybody could get in. So going into ninth grade, it wasn't just my junior high that was going to be there, but there was a number of junior highs coming together, and they were all going to be competing for a few spots to play drums and other instruments in jazz band. So I was nervous. I really wanted to get in. And I'd heard about the director of the jazz band. His name was Mr. Mitchell. I'd heard rumors of this guy, and I just thought, wow, 
This guy must be super cool. Mr. Mitchell, not only was he the jazz band director, but he himself was a drummer. Like all, all directors, they play all instruments, but some of them have like their instrument, and Mr. Mitchell was a drummer, like me. So the day came for the tryouts, and I, I got to see in person the Mr. Mitchell, and I played for him. I was nervous. By God's grace, I got into the jazz band in ninth grade, which allowed me to get to know Mr. Mitchell a little more. I saw him on a normal basis, and I noticed this guy is not just like other teachers. I mean, I would always thought he was kind of cool, but interacting with him, seeing how he, he respected the students, he was different than the other teachers. As time went on, I got to work with him more and more. He was also over the drum line of the marching band, which I was in. Eventually, he became my private uh, lessons teacher, so he was my instructor in playing drums. And it was probably not until those private instructions that he told me more and more about who he is. It turned out Mr. Mitchell is a follower of Jesus. And I knew there was something different about him, but he loved me. And as we hung out more and more, he would let me ask him questions about who God is, about his faith, about life, about marriage and girls and Jesus and all that good stuff. He became a mentor to me. There was a time when in our private lessons, we were doing more God talk than actual learning how to play drums. But I'm so grateful for it. I loved it. There was something different about Mr. Mitchell. And I see now it was his life. It was his life coming into accord with God's wise ways. If I look at the Ten Commandments, I would have seen many of the things that God shows as wise aligning with Mr. Mitchell's life. When we align our lives with commands such as these, with God's holy, wise ways, people will notice. People will want to ask questions. And we'll not only be blessing ourselves, but blessing those around us. We'll have opportunities to share the hope that God has given us in Jesus. Conversely, when we step away from these commands, and we all do, we all struggle with that, it's to our own detriment. It's not to our benefit. We, we will bring upon ourselves sorrow, and we all know firsthand what this is like, and we will close doors that could have been possibly open for us to share the gospel. So let's just think about our lives. How are we doing as we think about these 10 commands? Are there other gods or other idols that are competing for your allegiance and your heart? We might be not tempted to make a golden calf like the Israelites were, but there might be things in your life that are competing to have that first place in your life. When you're asleep at night or, or laying in your bed, falling asleep, what keeps you awake? What do you think about? Could it be that that thing is taking allegiance over God? It could be a job. It could be family. It could be entertainment, sports, hobbies. Not bad things in and of themselves, but anything that rivals God is not the way God designed us to be. It's not for our own good. Is God first or is he not in our lives? Are we making time for God? Especially now with the coronavirus, maybe we have a little extra time. Are we daily making time for him and time for us to rest? Children, students, are we honoring our parents? Older children, are we honoring our older parents by helping them in their older years? How is, is lust a part of our thought life? Is pornography a struggle that we're going through? Are we respecting those around us, showing that they have dignity made in God's image? Even our kids, are we distracted from them? Are we too busy on our phones? I'm speaking to myself. Or are we treating them as people made in God's image? Are we sleeping around with a boyfriend or girlfriend, a fiance before marriage? 
Are we envious of those around us? Do we want what others have but isn't ours? Charity, status, job. We struggle with all these things. And I urge you, especially now, especially when we're separated uh, like this with the coronavirus, to cling to God and cling to each other. And these times, I know from my own experience, sin has a way of just creeping up when we're isolated, and it can really destroy us. So if you're struggling right now, I urge you, don't stay alone. Connect. If you're not in a life group, connect with us at the church because we'd love for you to be able to plug in. We're still doing life groups. We're doing Zoom things, internet life groups, but we're still staying connected. You can call me. You can call our pastors. But if you are struggling, you're not alone, and we need to stay together. We need to help each other. Don't let sin pull you down. Resist the devil and cling to God. And that leads to our last point. Our last point is that the Ten Commandments lead us to cling to the Savior. The Ten Commandments lead us to cling to the Savior. Not only do these Ten Commandments show us God's heart, not only do they show us about who we are, who God has designed us to be, but they show us who we are not. They show us a great need that all of us had. Have you ever been in an experience where you think you're doing pretty well at something until somebody or something else comes along and then your eyes are open and you see, oh, wow, I have a ways to go. That's how it is for me in a lot of places, actually. But, for example, if I'm at if I'm youth group and I'm playing Ultimate Frisbee or Sharks and Minnows, I think I'm doing okay. And then Justin Wilson shows up or Cody Cochran and I see, wow, I'm not all that. Or maybe I'm, I'm singing a worship song in church, and I hear my voice, and I'm thinking, yeah, I sound pretty good. And then uh, Jessica Freeland starts singing, and I realize, oh, no, I have a ways to go. Not that it matters what you sound like when you're worshiping. Worship no matter what you sound like. Um, I remember another example, another band story when I was in high school. I was a senior. I was a senior in high school, so I should be pretty good at anything, right? So in concert band, I was in percussions. We played all kinds of auxiliary percussion instruments, including a marimba, which is like a xylophone. And there was this sophomore coming up. His name was Tim. And when he came in, he blew me out of the water. A sophomore. He could play that marimba. And when he was done, his mallets were flaming and smoke was everywhere. He rocked at it. So it's helpful and good when we have these, these uh, humility moments. We realize, oh, wow, I'm not all that good at that. And that's kind of what happens when we read the Ten Commandments, when we see God's holy character embodied in these commands, and then we go about trying to do life according to these things, which we should and will be a blessing to us. But when we do that, we'll find ourselves frustrated at times. We'll find ourselves falling short because they reveal we are falling short of God's holy, perfect standards. We are falling short. We need forgiveness for our sins. We need a righteousness that we can't provide on our own. And God has graciously provided his son, Jesus. So I just want to take a moment. This is so, so cool. And I want us to walk through just some highlights of the rest of the biblical narrative and see how this theme of the Ten Commands unfolds. This is so, so cool. So check this out. You don't have to turn to all these passages, passages if you don't want to. But so we have these Ten Commandments God gives to the Israelites. Seems pretty good. Seems like they're on board. But it doesn't unfold like that. Not long after, they're building a golden calf. They're in doing that, breaking the second and maybe the first commandment also. And as you keep reading the Old Testament, you see murder, you see adultery, you see devotion to other gods, you see them not obeying this core covenant, this marriage that they had with their God. In time, God being patient, 
Um, but despite his patience, eventually does bring just judgment. And this comes in the form of exile. Way longer generations away from when Moses gave the Ten Commandments, God allows the foreign nations of Assyria and Babylon to exile God's people out of their land into those lands. And this was a judgment because they were disobeying God's covenant. But God was not done with his people. He sends a group of men called the prophets, and part of their message was to reveal how he wasn't done with them. For example, Jeremiah, one of these prophets, he says in Jeremiah chapter 31, he says, look, the days are come declaration when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their master, the Lord's declaration. So Jeremiah is saying there's going to be a new covenant. He's comparing it to this covenant in which the Ten Commandments are a core part of. He's saying they broke that. They need a new one. So a new one is going to come. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it not on tablets of stone, that's my insertion, but on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will one teach his neighbor or his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least to the greatest of them. This is the Lord's declaration, for I will forgive their iniquity and never again remember their sin. So Jeremiah, he's anticipating one day God's going to give a new covenant where God's, God's ways are written on our hearts and our sins are forgiven. Fast forward a few more generations, several more. In the fullness of time, God the Son became flesh in Jesus. He had a ministry on this earth. He did amazing miracles. He taught God's ways. He was perfect. He fulfilled the law perfectly in all that he did. And he talked about a new life, a new birth. He spoke with this, this religious leader named Nicodemus and said that he had to be born again. This is in the same thrust as Jeremiah saying that we need a new heart and a new heart was coming for God's people. Towards the end of Jesus' life, he had a meal with his followers. And he broke some bread at that meal. And here in Luke 22, it says, Luke, Luke 22, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. When he says new covenant, he's activating all these hopes that Jeremiah had anticipated. A new covenant where we will get new hearts and our sins will be forgiven. Of course, Jesus from there, he died on the cross, paying for the sins of his people, offering forgiveness. He rose again. And then a little bit later at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was sent to the church. And all those who follow Jesus now God's Spirit lives in us. He lives in us, and He's changing, giving us new hearts. One more passage. This is in the book of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews, he's comparing aspects of the Mosaic Covenant, of which the Ten Commandments were a core part of, with the New Covenant. He says, For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the trumpet, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Remember those things at Mount Sinai. 
Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, instead of that, instead you've come to Mount Zion. He uses Mount Zion as an image here for the new covenant. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. I love seeing that theme of God's redemption through Scripture. So what does that mean for the Ten Commandments? Are we under the Ten Commandments today? My understanding is that the Ten Commandments, along with the other commands of the Mosaic Covenant, are technically not the covenant we are under today. We're under the New Covenant, but this doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments are not valuable to us. Quite the opposite. While they were given in a certain historical context, the Ten Commandments reveal the heart God is sanctifying us to have. The principles these commands embody reveal God's character and should increasingly become part of our new nature as God conforms us more and more into the image of his son, Jesus, who kept the law perfectly. The Ten Commandments, they're like a mirror to us. We live our lives and then we stand back and the Ten Commandments show us that we have fallen short of God's holy standard, his character embodied in these commands, and that need is satisfied so wonderfully through the Savior, Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life and died the death that we deserve so that we can have life in him, in this new covenant based on his righteousness. So if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've never experienced the rest that he offers, that, that you can know that your relationship, your status with God isn't based on how well you keep the Ten Commandments, but it's based on the finished work of Jesus, I invite you, you can do that. You can say, God, I need what you offer in Jesus. I need a great Savior, and he will be that to you. Trust in faith, repent, lean on Jesus. Cling to the Savior. So, I started this morning by telling you about Heather and I when we got married years ago. <clears throat> Yesterday afternoon, we pulled out our, our wedding DVD. I hadn't watched it in a long time. I don't know that our kids had ever seen it, so we all kind of gathered around on the couch, and we remembered what it was like. We remembered those vows that Heather and I made to each other. We remembered the party that we had afterwards and how fun it was and how it really set the core, the beginning of our whole life and family today. And our kids got to see that. And it was so cool. It was a refreshing reminder of what we're all about. So I encourage you and me to do that with the Ten Commandments. To be refreshed by remembering these holy and good ways of God. That God has redeemed us and our generation, not from Egypt, but from our slavery to sin. And now he invites us into this adventure of responding to his grace to us by living lives that reflect his good wise ways, and by sharing his grace with those around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you've not left us in silence and confusion, but you've revealed to us 
who you are. You've shown us how you've designed us, how you've designed us to operate and live life. And yet we have all fallen short. And you have even satisfied that need by providing for us the perfect Savior, Jesus. Thank you that he perfectly loved you and he loved people. And he's made a way for us to know you. Let us live life in him every day. In Jesus' name.